welcome to Misinformation, the trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. So, Julia, your, um, your topic about rivers, really, I, I was like thinking about them. Just spoke to you. And I was dreaming about them. I, I was eat, say, sleeping, talking about rivers. Oh, yeah. I listened to that Enya song mm-hmm. over and over again. Um, and I thought, who who loves rivers more than me who right now? Who loves rivers? Across time and space. And I was like, you know who loves rivers? Julia and Lauren. I said to myself, Mark Twain. Ah, uh, yeah, yes. I know. You're rolling your eyes. And I rolled my eyes, too. I was like, geez, now I got to do Mark Twain. Yeah, we that talk lame-zo. a lot of shit on Mark Twain. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, I am a shit talker. <laughs> and I have talked some shit on Mark Twain. But I learned some stuff about him. And now... Now you... Now your, I, your heart might be softening. Yeah. I, you no longer have a, a, a river bottom full of rock snot. <laughs> for mark twain i do not have a river bottom full of rock snot for mark twain anymore so my topic today is called a talented and crotchety old man mark twain river full of stones when there's no rain river full and rushing when the clouds let loose again so mark twain was born Samuel Langhorn Clemens on November 30th, 1835 in Florida, Missouri. I do declare. I do declare. My name is Samuel Langhorn Clemens. It's pretty good. Yeah, thank you. I might actually uh, use that voice for him when I quote him throughout this. Perfect. So get ready for that. Uh, He was born in Florida, Missouri, the sixth of seven children, born to Jane Lampton, a native of Kentucky, and John Marshall Clemens, who is a native of Virginia. Only three of his siblings survived childhood. They were Orion, like the constellation, like the yes, Henry, and Pamela. His sister Pamela. Mar- Pamela, that yeah. feels early for that name, right? Call it Pam. Oh. Yeah, I know. Uh, his sister Margaret died when um, Twain was three, mm. and his brother Benjamin died three years later. And his brother Pleasant Hannibal Clemens, <gasps> I love it. It's such a good name. He died at three weeks of age. Poor Pleasant Hannibal. So uh, when he was four, Twain's family moved Better to... Than pleasant Cannibal. <laughs> That's a weird... It's an oxymoron, a Pleasant Cannibal, where he says, Excuse me, sir. May I eat your flesh? <laughs> Gross. Uh, Twain's family moved to Hannibal, Missouri, which is unrelated to his dead oh, that's brother. that's weird. I know, right? Ugh, it reminds him. Uh, the Hannibal, Missouri uh, was a port town on the Mississippi River uh, that inspired the fictional town of St. Petersburg in the adventures of Tom Sawyer and the adventures of Huckleberry Finn much later. Uh, slavery was legal in Missouri at the time, and it became a theme in these writings. And his father was an attorney and judge who died of pneumonia in 1847 when Twain was 11. The next year, Twain left school after the fifth grade to become a printer's, printer's apprentice. And in 1851, he began working as a typesetter, contributing articles and humorous sketches to the Hannibal Journal. So he was like 11 and a half. Yeah, he was like 13. <laughs> they He had to stand on a box to help <laughs> to help set true? type. No, I don't know. <laughs> no, he was probably like, mm, I don't know, 16 to 18, okay. something like that. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, he he did these. He contributed articles and humor sketches to the Hannibal Journal, which was a newspaper that his brother Orion owned. So he was is a family business. Even in the family. Uh, when he was 18, he left Hannibal and worked as a printer in New York City, Philadelphia, St. Louis, and Cincinnati, joining the newly formed International Typographical Union, the Printers Trade Union. ITU. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he. <laughs> He educated himself in public libraries in the evenings, finding wider information than at conventional school. So he was a he was a voracious reader. So libraries were better than school. Yes, and that is what and that is a, a thing I will stand behind. Misinformation. Libraries are better than schools. I like it. Take that to the bank. Um, Twain describes his boyhood in Life on the Mississippi, stating that quote. Are you doing the voice? I am doing the voice. Okay. Quote: "Thou was but one permanent admission." <laughs> Among his comrades. I'm not going to be able to do it because you're going to just laugh so hard. Um, the the one permanent ambition was to be a steamboatman. Mm. Steamboat pilot Horace E. Bixby. That's a great name. I know. Took Twain on as a cub pilot to teach him the river between New Orleans and St. Louis for 500 bucks, payable out of Twain's first wages Ooh, after graduating. that like a lot of money. It was a lot and of then- money at the time, but... You know, think of it like, um, you know, like you're learning a trade. Hmm, So it's school. Yeah. Uh, Twain studied the Mississippi, learning its landmarks, how to navigate its currents effectively and how to read the river and its constantly shifting channels, reefs, submerged snags and rocks that would, quote, tear the life out of the strongest vessel that ever floated. And and maybe over submerged whole steamships. Yes. (gasps) So many ties. So many ties. Mm -hmm. I'm loving it. Uh, it was more than two years before he received his pilot's license. Piloting also gave him his pen name from Mark Twain, the leadsman's cry for a measured river depth of two fathoms, which is 12 feet. So one fathom is six feet. Okay. So Josh is one fathom tall. So there you go. <laughs> um, uh, which was safe water for a steamboat. So uh, water had to be a depth of two fathoms for a steamboat wow. to okay. safely go That's through. That's really interesting. Um, so while he was training as a steamboatman, Samuel convinced his younger brother Henry to work with him. Um, but Henry was killed on June 21st, 1858, when the steamboat Pennsylvania exploded. Ooh. So it turns out that boilers on steamboats were very volatile. Uh-huh. They got pretty hot, as you can imagine. And Henry's, this is awful, Henry's skin and lungs were so <gasps> badly burned that he succumbed to his injuries a few days after the explosion. Oh, no. That's a really long time. Yeah, that's a long time for you. The inside of your lungs to be burned from the hot steam of the explosion of the boiler on the steamboat you were on. Yeah. (sighs) So, um, (laughs) so Twain claimed to have foreseen this death in a dream a month earlier, which inspired his interest in parapsychology. He was an early member of the Society for Psychical Research. So his whole life, he was super interested in that. Okay. Uh, Twain was guilt stricken and held himself responsible for the rest of his life. He had like kind of survivor's guilt because he was working he on it too. Because he wanted his brother to join him yes. on the river. And he basically convinced him like, no, it'll be oh. fun. You'll love it. Um, 
He continued to work on the river and was a river pilot until the Civil War broke out in 1861 when traffic was curtailed along the Mississippi River. And at the start of hostilities, he enlisted briefly in a local Confederate union. He later wrote the sketch, The Private History of a Campaign That Failed, describing how he and his friends had been Confederate volunteers for two weeks before disbanding. (laughs) Um, so his, uh, at the time, more successful brother, Orion, Orion Clemens, uh, became secretary to the Nevada Territory Governor James W. Nye in 1861, and Twain joined him when he moved west. So the brothers traveled more than two weeks on a stagecoach across the Great Plains and the Rocky Mountains, visiting the Mormon community in Salt Lake City. Huh. I yeah. guess I wouldn't have pictured him doing that. And uh, he Was he had, still going by Sammy? Yeah, I think he was still Sam, Sam Clemens at the mm-hmm. time. Um, he also got like a, a book of Latter-day Saints uh-huh. and he, in his, like he wrote later, like, he's like, this thing is not good. <laughs> it's like they copied a lot of the old Testament. And then the new Testament is like really lame. Like it was, he had some like, he didn't really things. like other people's no, writing. He did not at all. And I have some mm-hmm. choice nuggets from the old brain of Mr. Twain. Uh, so Twain's journey ended in the silver mining town of Virginia City, Nevada, when he became a miner on the Comstock load. Uh, he could fa- for him. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, but he failed as a miner. Oh. And he went to work at the Virginia City newspaper, Territorial Enterprise, working under a friend, the writer Dan DeQuill. Uh, he first used his pen name here on February 3rd, 1863, when he wrote a humorous travel account entitled, and this is a really dumb title, Letter from Carson, re Joe Goodman, semicolon, party at Gov Johnson's, semicolon, music. And he signed it Mark Twain. What was the date on that? Uh, 1863. What was the date, like the month and the Oh, month and uh, February 3rd. Okay. So one month before Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, and then Mark Twain wrote yes. his first. Yes. So this was a very... Um, fortuitous just to, time. Just to set you up in your time frame. No, that's very good. Thank you for mm-hmm. that. His first success as a writer came when his humorous tall tale, The Celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County, was published on November 18th, 1865 in the New York Weekly, the Saturday Press, bringing him national attention. Um, a year later, he's traveled to the Sandwich Islands, present-day Hawaii, Ooh, yeah. as a reporter for the Sacramento Union. That's it, a good gig. Yeah, yeah. They were like, <laughs> go to this literal paradise Mm -hmm. and just write about it. Be like, um, me, please. Hi, I can do that. I volunteer as tribute. Yes. I will. What if we got a newspaper to pay us? Yes. To go to Hawaii, to do a Mm -hmm. podcast about Hawaii. I bet there's some grant we could write. Okay. Let's do it. Hawaii tourism board really needs our help. Yes. (laughs) No one's going to Hawaii. (laughs) We really need to get on that. Um, so his letters to the union were popular and became the basis for his first lectures. He was a traveling lecturer throughout his life, but especially towards the end of his Mm -hmm. life. Um, in 1867, a local newspaper funded his trip to the Mediterranean abroad, the Quaker city. Yeah. Including a tour of Europe and the middle East. So he was a travel writer. He wrote a collection. Like Rick Steves. Like Rick Steve, only not as high. Isn't it Steve's? Rick we Steves. had this debate already. I, think I so. couldn't get over it because I couldn't take him seriously because it's not because it's two first names. Rick Steve. Rick Steve. Well, Rick Steve loves the ganj. He loves that uh, that sticky icky. Yeah. 
Well, you know, that's why he's so relaxed all the time. He's got a PBS show where he's just like, yeah, man, let's just go and lay in the sun. Like, <laughs> so, so his, um, his equivalent 120 years prior was Mark Twain. Yes. Mark Twain was Rick Steve. I'm sure Mark Twain would have smoked some kush. You know what I mean? Especially he seems like a t- drunk. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, he probably enjoyed his his, his bourbon. Yes, his mind altering mint juleps. <laughs> I'm loving this southern accent. We gotta keep doing it. Apologies to everyone in the <laughs> south. No, I do not apologize. The apology does not extend to me. Fifty percent of this podcast apologizes <laughs> for the accent. Um, so while he was giving, he was doing this tour of mm. the world, basically. He wrote a collection of travel letters, which were later compiled as uh, The Innocence Abroad, and that was published ah. in 1869, yes. Yes. Is it in it? Is it Innocence with a C-E or Innocence with a T-S? It's a T-S, Innocence, like okay. not like guilty. a bunch of people who are innocent yes. abroad. The Innocence Abroad, yes. Um, it was on this trip that he met fellow passenger Charles Langdon, who showed him a picture of his sister, Olivia. Twain later claimed to have fallen in love at first sight. Aww. Isn't that lovely? Oh, old Sammy. Yeah, he's a big old softie. That's what I learned about Mark Twain. Uh, Twain and Olivia Langdon corresponded throughout 1868. She rejected his first marriage proposal, but they were married in Elmira, New York in what? February 1870. Yeah. Elmira, yeah. a place to live. <laughs> That is literally their motto. She, yes. Julia, I'm not joking. She's not joking. It's it's not just a good place to live. Not the best place not, to live. Not place where Mark Twain got married. No. It's Elmira. A place to live. Just as good as any. <laughs> basically. They are really down on themselves at Elmira. They should really. Well, I mean, it's not that great. Anyway. So Lauren said she's going to talk a lot of shit this podcast. Yeah, I'm t- I'm, t- I'm going to talk as much shit as Mark Twain talked because he talks some <laughs> shit. <laughs> so drink uh, every time Lauren says talking shit. Yes. Or talks shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fill your glasses, everybody. Here it comes. So they were married in Elmira, New York in February 1870, where he courted her and managed to overcome her father's initial reluctance. Uh, she came from a wealthy but liberal family. Through her, he met abolitionists, socialists, principled atheists, and activists for women's rights and social equality, including Harriet Beecher Stowe. She was his next-door neighbor in Hartford, Connecticut, when they moved to Connecticut, Frederick Douglass, and writer and utopian socialist William Dean Howells, who became a longtime friend. Oh. Um, the couple lived in Buffalo, New York from 1869 to 1871. I didn't know that either. Yeah, there is a, um, uh, there's a, an anchor person, like a uh, reporter in in Buffalo. I yes, think. that's what this hand motion yeah, I means. I was like, what's a microphone? I have a microphone in front of my face right now. Um, he's He was a reporter. He was the weather guy. I forget. But he did Mark Twain, like he was a Mark Twain reenactor kind oh, of boy. thing. Um, and he did not look like him at all, but he would do like a full, like facial prosthetic, like beard and everything. And he was amazing. Wow. Yeah. Like he would travel around Western New York area pretending to be Mark Twain. It was really weird. <laughs> he was very good. I don't know if he still does it. Um, it so, even the, if, so Mark Twain spent years in Europe and the Mediterranean yep. and Hawaii mm. and then decided what the hell? I'll Let's live, live in, in Buffalo. Buffalo. Buffalo was a hot happening place. There's lots of stuff to do. So they lived there. They didn't live there long. 
1869 to 1871. He owned a stake in the Buffalo Express newspaper and worked as an editor and writer. Okay. So while so they were, he followed the newspaper. Yeah. He basically like, yeah. And it was a, again, it was a happening place to live, Julia. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm not besmeagering Buffalo. <laughs> all right. All certainly. Right, not it's no Elmira. <laughs> Um, I think I think Buffalo is the city of good neighbors. I think that's that's the motto. And I it's have nice. been around a lot of friendly people there. So there you go. Um, while they were living in Buffalo, their son Langdon, unfortunately, died of diphtheria at the age of 19 months. Uh, they had three daughters, Susie, Clara and Jean. So Twain moved his family to Hartford, Connecticut, when he where he arranged the building of a home starting in 1873. Uh, Twain wrote many of his classic novels during his 17 years in Hartford and over 20 summers at Quarry Farm, which was his sister-in-law's house. Okay. Um, They would summer in her house. And uh, she actually built him or had uh, like a little office built away from the house. Okay. Because he loved to smoke cigars. And she was like, you are not smoking cigars in my house. So (laughs) you're going out there to like the man cave. And then he would write and write. Um, (laughs) Come on down to Mark Twain's man caves. <laughs> Ooh, it's full of smoke and bourbon. <laughs> now he's now he's an old prospector. I lost it. I lost it. <laughs> so, um, the books include that he wrote while in Connecticut. The, bo- the books that the books. were written by the man who called himself <laughs> Mark Twain. Mark Twain. Uh, the Adventures of Tom Sawyer, The Prince and the Pauper, Life on the Mississippi. Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Uh, the couple's marriage lasted 34 years until Olivia's death in 1904. Oh. And um, as it turns out, all of the Clemens family are buried in Elmira's Woodlawn Cemetery. So what? Y- yeah. So we can, dr- we can get up tomorrow morning. We can get into probably your car. It's a better car. And we can drive to Elmira. <laughs> and we can visit Mark Twain's grave. How did I not know he was buried in this state? I don't know. I, I, I don't know, Julia, but now you know. Wow. So um, Twain was fascinated with science and scientific inquiry. He developed a close and lasting friendship with Nikola Tesla, and the two spent much time together in Tesla's laboratory. Uh, Twain himself patented three inventions, including a improvement in adjustable and detachable straps for Gormans. Go- for Gormans. Gormans. <laughs> <laughs> He really liked his gormans. He made straps for them. Straps for his gormans. <laughs> Leave that in. Come on down Leave to Mark in. Twain's main cave. Get yourself some gormans straps. Gormans. Get some gormans. <laughs> these were these were gormans straps to replace to replace suspenders. He also invented a history trivia game. What is, wait, what's the difference? Is a Gormit strap just not suspenders? <laughs> like they existed already, yeah. Mark. <laughs> Adjustable and detachable straps for garments are suspenders. <laughs> but see what the the title of it is an improvement oh. in adjustable and detachable straps for garments. Okay. So, so you, to replace he made suspenders. suspenders better. I'm just saying he in, he patented things. I didn't say that he was successful. <laughs> <laughs> so he did have the most commercially successful thing that he did okay. invent. It was a self-pasting scrapbook. So mm, a dried mm-hmm. adhesive on the page needed only to be moistened before use. Yes. And over 25,000 were sold. Wow. Yeah. So he did pretty okay with that. 
Uh, Twain's novel, A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, which was published in 1889, um, features a time traveler from the contemporary U.S. using his knowledge of science to introduce modern technology to Arthurian England. Ooh. Um, this, obviously, this type of storyline became a common feature of the science fiction sub- mm-hmm. subgenre of alternate history. Um, and in 1909, Thomas Edison visited Twain at his home in Reading, Connecticut, and filmed him. Part of the footage was used in The Prince and the Pauper, a two-reel short film, which was um, released in 1909. And it is said to be the only known existing film footage of Twain. So Have I tracked it, it down. Yeah. Okay, awesome. It is uh, underwhelming. Well, he like It's like he walks out of his house, and then he's like, he throws away his cigar. And then he walks over to his daughter's drinking tea, and then he sips a couple of cups of tea. And then his daughter puts on a hat and sticks some hat pins in it. And then they all get up and walk away. That's it. It's like an hour. I mean, an hour. <laughs> it is a whole hour. No, it's a minute 30 or something like that. Okay. Cool. Yeah. It's, you know, you can find it out there. It's Edison's. We'll tweet a link to it. Yeah, we'll tweet a link to it. Um, Twain uh, made a substantial amount of money through his writing. Uh, but he lost a great deal through investments. He was Ooh. not good with money, this guy. Uh, he invested mostly in new inventions and technology, particularly in the page typesetting machine. Uh, the typesetting machine was a beautifully engineered mechanical marvel that amazed viewers when it worked, but was prone to breakdowns. Oof. Twain spent $300,000 uh, on it between 1880 and 1894, which is equal to $8 million oh. in today's money. Um, but before the, the, um, the machine could be perfected, it was rendered obsolete by the linotype. So he lost the bulk of his book profits as well as a substantial portion of his wife's wife's inheritance. So he was like 19th century shark tank and he just invested in a, he just invested in some bad stuff and he hated the guy who invented it ever since page. Um, he said some nasty things about him. Which is like, okay, but like, you're the one who spent that much money on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, look, you know, take the speck out of your eye before you pull the plank out of the others. I'm, are yeah, these? I'm going Bible up these, in this. This is some Bible. Is that a phrase? Yes, it is. <clears throat> before you, t- no, it's a speck in your, before you take the speck out of your companion's eye, like you have a speck in your eye, you have to take the plank out of your own. That yeah. sounds really painful. Well, yeah, but it's, you know, it's a metaphor. I think it's like, if you're pointing the blame at somebody, look at all the fingers pointing back exactly. at you. It's exactly like that. But with planks and I do and not specs. want a plank in my eye. eyeballs. Yes. <laughs> uh, Twain also lost a lot of money through his publishing house of Charles L. Webster and Company, which enjoyed initial success selling the memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant, mm-hmm. but failed soon afterwards losing money on a biography of Pope Leo Thirteenth. Yeah. Those Americans just didn't really care so much about no, the Pope. No, who cares about point? Pope Leo the Thirteenth? Can you name one fact about Pope Leo the Thirteenth? There were twelve Leos before him, <laughs> and that's not even about him. <laughs> that's about all the guys before him. Fewer, wow. fewer than two hundred copies of that were sold. Oof. So, yeah, um, Grant's biography was. Oh yeah, no, it was a huge hit, bestseller. Yeah, they loved it. Um, Twain and his family closed down their expensive Hartford home in response to the dwindling income and moved to Europe in June 1891. Yeah. Wouldn't that be something? I know, right? Uh, also, he, his wife, and daughter Susie all had health problems, so they figured they would benefit from the European baths. Yeah, I know. Um, when, so- did, when did like people stop thinking, like, these natural baths 
when where medicine became a like an actual I feel like thing. it was like up through the mid 20th century people were still oh. like taking a, a hot bath in a yeah knit. there are also people you know like fdr when he died yeah bath but there are also people who are still like putting stuff in their orifices that are not their mouths winkety wink to like <laughs> promote good chakra health you know what i mean Ugh, like there's always going to be those people who are like yeah. i'm not putting chemicals in my body <laughs> i rub this bath. rock on my armpits and i do not smell <laughs> <laughs> that rock does not help guys just fyi um good news twain's writings and lectures enabled him to recover financially combined Great. with the help of a new friend in Who's fall, his new friend? Oh, I'll tell you. In fall 1893, he began a friendship with financier Henry Huddleston Rogers, a principal of Standard Oil. Ooh, That's a good friend to have. Yeah. yeah. Um, that that friendship lasted the remainder of Mark Twain's life. Great. Um, Rogers first made him file for bankruptcy in April 1894, then had him transfer the copyrights on his written works to his wife to prevent creditors from gaining possession of them. Okay. Very smart. Finally, Rogers took absolute charge of Twain's money until all his creditors were paid. So he's basically like his financial benefactor okay. and like CPA. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Twain accepted an offer from Robert Sparrow Smythe and embarked on a year-long around-the-world lecture tour in July 1895 to pay off his creditors in full, although he was no longer under any legal obligation to do so. So that was good. Um, apparently, it was a long, arduous journey, and he was sick much of the time mostly from a cold and a carbuncle. Do you know what a carbuncle is? It is a cluster of boils caused by a bacterial infection. Where was it? uh, It did not say. (laughs) It did not say. Hopefully just his foot. Yep. Foot or leg Mm, somewhere. Boils. Yep. Somewhere not embarrassing at all. Um, Just an FYI, if you are reading an article online and the word carbuncle is highlighted, with a hyperlink, don't click do not on click it. on it because it shows photos and it is gross. It will put you off your lunch and maybe your dinner. Um, so Twain Come lived- on down to Mark Twain's Carbuncle, <laughs> Carbuncle Lance Emporium. Emporium. <laughs> we got all your bacterial needs. Um, Twain lived in his later years at 14 West 10th Street in Manhattan. Twain passed through a period of deep depression, which began in 1896 when his daughter Susie died mm. of meningitis. Uh, Olivia's death in 1904 and Jean's on December 24th, 1909 deepened his gloom. On May 20th, 1909, his close friend Henry Rogers died suddenly. In 1906, Twain began his autobiography in the North American Review. Uh, Twain also, this is very sweet. Twain formed a club in 1906 for girls whom he viewed as surrogate granddaughters called the Angel Fish and Aquarium Club. The dozen or so members ranged in age from 10 to 16, and he exchanged letters with his angelfish girls and invited them to concerts and the theater and to play games. Twain wrote in 1908 that the club was his life's chief delight. In 1907, he met Dorothy Quick, who was 11 years old, on a transatlantic crossing, beginning a friendship that was to last until the very day of his death. Is that the Mark Twain in me? Yes. Wow. Isn't that cool? I didn't get to do too much into that because... uh, this is long. So, but maybe I'll do a, like a follow up with that. Um, so this is cool. So Twain was born two weeks after Halley's Comet closest approach in 1835. Mm-hmm. 
He said in 1909, I came in with Halley's Comet in 1835. It is coming again next year, and I expect to go out with it. It will be the greatest disappointment of my life if I don't go out with Halley's Comet. The Almighty has said, no doubt, now here are these two unaccountable freaks. They came in together. They must go out together. Um, and Twain's prediction was accurate. He died of a heart attack on April 21st, 1910 in Reading, Connecticut, one day after the comet's closest approach to Earth. How Isn't that crazy? That? Um, if you ever need to remember when Halley's Comet has come or will be coming, uh-huh. there is a Mary Chapin Carpenter song <laughs> <laughs> that goes, uh, it's called When Halley Came to Jackson. And the oh, first okay. line of it is When Halley Came to Jackson in 1910. So oh. then Halley's Comet is every 76 years. So you had... 1910, you had the 76 years before that when oh, Twain was born. And then 1986 was the last time we saw it because that's 76 years after 1910. So okay. you can kind of use that as a jumping off that's point good if to you know. need to calculate anything. Also, side note, sidebar, in my last episode, <laughs> I said that this, the, my interstitial music was Mary Chapin Carpenter about the Great Dust Bowl. Oh. But it was not. It, it was, was Nancy not. Griffith. It's okay. This old town. We published it with the right Oh, yeah. No. Attribution. I, great. But I said Mary Chapin she Carpenter was, like eight times, though. I was like, well, maybe I didn't p- say it loud Some people enough. were disappointed, but yeah. I'll just do Mary Chapin no Carpenter fear. this time. I'll do that song. How about that? <laughs> Write it down for me. Um, so Twain's funeral was at the Old Brick Presbyterian Church in New York. Again, he is buried in his wife's family plot at Woodlawn Cemetery in Elmira. How about that? Uh, the Langdon family plot is marked by a 12-foot monument to Fathoms or Mark Twain, placed there by his surviving daughter, Clara. Oh, that's real clever. Yeah, we have to go. We should go. That'd be really fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm gonna now I'm going to talk a little bit about Twain's writings, just kind of in a general way. Okay. Um, Twain used different pen names before deciding on Mark Twain. Oh. Uh, he signed humorous and imaginative sketches as Josh. <gasps> yeah. Until 1863. Um, and additionally, he used the pen name Josh. Thomas Jefferson Snodgrass for a series of humorous letters. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Uh, as it turns out, a complete bibliography of Twain's works is nearly impossible to compile because of the vast number of pieces he wrote, often in obscure newspapers, and his use of several different pen names. That's really interesting. Yeah. Additionally, a large portion of his speeches and lectures have been lost or were not recorded. Thus, the compilation of Twain's works is an ongoing process. Wow. Re- researchers have rediscovered published material as recently as 1995 and 2015. Yeah. Wow. Uh, still, his first major published work was the aforementioned The Celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County. The popularity of this prompted the Sacramento Union um, to commission him to write letters about his travel. Um, and also, he took a boat trip from San Francisco to New York City via the Panama Isthmus. So he, he wrote about trip. that as well. Yeah. Um, in the late 1860s, he finished The Innocents Abroad or The New Pilgrim's Progress. That's the full title. In, and in 1872, published his second piece of travel literature, Roughing It, depicting his travels in the American West and his trip to Hawaii. Uh, the Gilded Age, A Tale of Today, which was his first novel and only collaboration with his neighbor, Charles Dudley Warner. Um, Twain's next work drew on his experiences on the Mississippi River. Old Times on the Mississippi was a series of sketches published in the Atlantic Monthly in 1875, featuring his disillusionment with romanticism. Old times eventually became the starting point for life on the Mississippi. He did a lot of like 
writing over himself. Mm-hmm. So he would start something and then he would put it aside for a couple yeah. of years and then he would write some more. I mean, a lot of writers work this way, but he was, he was such a prolific writer that it's very hard to determine like when he started and stopped right. and continued, mm-hmm. um, before it was finally published. So, um, the next major publication was the adventure of Tom Sawyer, who he based on a childhood version of himself mixed with some boyhood friends. Aww. The book also introduced, Huckleberry Finn in a supporting role based on twins boyhood friend, Tom Blankenship. Um, The Prince and the Pauper was not well received despite a storyline that is common in film and literature today. Uh, Twain had started adventures of Huckleberry Finn, um, which he consistently had problems completing and had completed his travel book, a tramp abroad, which describes his travels through central and Southern Europe. So he was calling himself a tramp. He was calling himself a tramp. Yes. Okay. Uh, Twain's next major published work was The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, finally, which confirmed him as a noteworthy American writer. Some have called it the first great American novel, and the book has become required reading in many schools throughout the United States. Huck Finn was an offshoot from Tom Sawyer and had a more serious tone than his predecessor. 400 manuscript pages was was written in mid-1876, right after the publication of Tom Sawyer. The last fifth of Huckleberry Finn is subject to much controversy. Some say that Twain experienced a failure of nerve, as critic Leo Marx put it. Ernest Hemingway once said of Huckleberry Finn, if you read it, you must stop where Jim is stolen from the boys. That is the real end. The rest is just cheating. Uh, Then A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court was published in 1889, although he had started it four years earlier. And his next large-scale work was Puddinhead Wilson, which he wrote rapidly as he was desperately trying to stave off bankruptcy. From November 12th to December... Why it wasn't Puddinghead. Yeah, he, had, he was he like... write it really quick. Like, no G's. Mm-hmm. Um, from November 12th to December 14th, 1893, Twain wrote 60,000 words for the novel. What? He just blew through that book. Uh, critics have pointed to this rushed completion as the cause of the novel's rough organization and constant disruption of the plot. The novel also contains the tale of two boys born on the same day who switch positions in life like the Prince and the Pauper. Mm. It was first published serially in Centrally Magazine, and when it was finally published in book form, Puddinhead Wilson appeared as the main title. However, with the subtitles, it makes the entire title read, The Tragedy of Puddinhead Wilson and the Comedy of the Extraordinary Twins. Mm. Uh, Twin's next venture was a work of straight fiction that he called Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc, which was published in 1896 and dedicated to his wife. He had long said that this was the work that he was most proud of, despite the criticism that he received for it. The book had been a dream of his since childhood, and he claimed that he had found a manuscript detailing the life of Joan of Arc when he was an adolescent. That sounds like something he got when he was reading the book of mormon yeah in, <laughs> yeah probably out in the old west yeah, yeah. i found this manuscript of and it told Joan me the arc <laughs> it was uh his last completed novel and apparently it was very boring so uh his last work was his autobiography entitled the autobiography of mark twain which you would he, have thunk he would have come up with something I know, a right? more oh, catchy. Such a clever title. Um, he dictated it and thought it would be more entertaining if he went off on whims and tangents and non-chronological order, which is my favorite way to read a story. 
Um, some archivists and compilers have rearranged the biography into more conventional form, thereby eliminating some of Twain's humor in the flow of the book, um, which is probably for the best. Uh, the first volume of the autobiography, over 736 pages, was published by the University of California in November 2010, 100 years after his death, as Twain wished. It soon became an unexpected bestseller, making Twain one of a very few authors publishing new bestselling volumes in the 19th, 20th, and 21st centuries. That's a good fact. Is that a good fact? So all in all, I'm going to say I I like Mark Twain. I like him. He was a civil rights supporter and abolitionist. He was a supporter of suffrage and was friends with Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony. He was a union supporter. He was a snazzy dresser. And he was a big old softie who loved his wife and daughters. Like he was just like he was a little crotchety. But, you know, what old man isn't? And he had a quick tongue and he was funny. So, all right. I'm, I'm not going to call him a dick anymore. But I will say he hated Native Americans. Ooh. Oh, he hated them. Mm. He once called them, quote, the scum of the earth. So he was, I mean, rich Oof. tapestry, right? Not Oof. everyone's totally good and not everyone's totally evil. But that that's a little bit of a, that's tough. Um, okay. So wow. my quiz today. Okay is called A Barkeeper Entering the Kingdom of Heaven, a quiz on the people Twain hated. Question number one. This popular American writer in the early 19th century lived most of his life in Cooperstown, New York, which his father founded, and wrote a lot about Native Americans. Who is this three-named author? Question number two. Julia talked about how Twain hated Jane Austen with a passion, but honestly, he seemed to know a lot about her books for someone who found her prose unreadable. Think back. How many books did Jane Austen publish in her lifetime? Question number three. There are over 900 species of tarantula, and the largest, the Goliath bird eater, can reach sizes of up to 11 inches with leg span. What continent are tarantulas most concentrated? Question number four. True or false, Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven was almost a parrot. Question number five. Twain had a lot of vitriol for a lot of writers, but he saved his most powerful hits for popular then, but little known now, short story writer and poet who is not a WWE champion wrestler. Question number six. Even the long-dead Lorne Byron didn't manage to escape the excoriation of Twain because of, or possibly in spite of, his lifestyle. What influential woman was the only legitimate child of Byron? Question number seven. Within ten years, when was the Mona Lisa painted by da Vinci? Question number eight. This popular, short-lived president had his own death rock on Fordham Drive in Buffalo, New York. Name that president. Question number nine. Her book, Middlemarch, has been described as the greatest novel in the English language by fellow authors, but Twain was unimpressed. What was George Eliot's given name? And finally, question number ten. The Niagara Falls are made up of three waterfalls, in fact. Can you name them? We'll give you a moment to think about it, and we'll be right back with answers. And we're rolling, 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 yeah, rolling, rolling on a river. Yeah, we say we're rolling, rolling, 
So as you can imagine, it's not only the people, but also the things that Mm. Twain hated. And uh, at every answer, I'm going to tell you what Twain said about them. So, okay, here we go. Question number one. This popular American writer in the early 19th century lived most of his life in Cooperstown, New York, and wrote a lot about Native Americans. Who is this three-named author? James Fenimore Cooper. James Fenimore Cooper. Twain famously derided Cooper in his article called Fenimore Cooper's Literary Offenses. (laughs) (laughs) He basically hated him because James Fenimore Cooper wrote um, sympathetically and empathetically about About the Native Americans. And Twain was like, you're a lily-livered softy. Those jerks murder and kill, and they're the worst. Yeah. He wrote this in the newspaper? Did I ever listen to the newspaper? No, I've read it. he wrote this in the newspaper? (laughs) (laughs) Accusatorily, like... (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, No, he wrote it in a a letter. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. Question number two. Julia talked about how Twain hated Jane Austen with a passion, but honestly, he seemed to know a lot about her books for someone who found her prose unreadable. Think back. How many books did Jane Austen publish in her lifetime? In her lifetime. Yes. Four. Four. Yes. In total, there were six. And then there's also a few uh, like unfinished. Yeah. Unfinished works. Mm -hmm. Uh, The four that were published during her lifetime were Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, Mansfield Park, and Emma. And then posthumously were Persuasion and Northanger Abbey. Um, Twain said of her, it seems a great pity that they allowed her to die a natural death. Isn't that awful? such a nasty thing to say okay question number three there are over 900 species of tarantula and the largest the goliath bird eater can reach sizes of up to 11 inches with leg span what continent are tarantulas most concentrated asia no south america i was gonna say south america and then i was thinking where do they eat them yeah south america like in the amazon the amazon region um uh Twain hated spiders, especially tarantulas. Right. And he said, quote, some of these spiders could straddle over a common saucer with their hairy muscular legs. And when their feelings were hurt or when their dignity offended, they were the wickedest looking desperados the animal world can furnish. If their glass prison houses were touched ever so lightly, they were up and spoiling for a fight in a minute. Starchy? Proud? Indeed, they would take up a straw and pick their teeth like a member of Congress. <laughs> That's a lot of vitriol. I know. He really hated spiders. <laughs> I mean, do you blame him? <clears throat> uh, question number four. True or false, Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven was almost a parrot. I'm going to say false. It's true. <laughs> uh, apparently, Poe felt a parrot didn't strike the right tone. Oh. Yeah. Uh, uh, Twain said, to me, Poe's prose is unreadable, like Jane Austen's. No, there is a difference. I could read his prose on a salary, but not Jane's. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I know. Uh, Question number five. Twain had a lot of vitriol for a lot of writers, but he saved his most powerful hits for popular then, but little known now, short story writer and poet who is not a WWE champion wrestler. Clue. His name was Bret Hart, like okay. Bret Hitman Hart, okay. uh, but with an E at the end, H-A-R-T-E. Okay. Um, he wrote a lot about the California gold rush, apparently. I had never heard of him before, but Twain had to say this about him. 
Heart is a liar, a thief, a swindler, a snob, a sot, a sponge, a coward, a Jeremy Diddler. He is brimful of treachery. He couldn't keep a friend permanently. He was bad, distinctly bad. He had no feeling and he had no conscience. <laughs> Julia keeps just hiding her face from me. <laughs> I want Ken Burns to do a Mark Twain and then just use you as the voiceover oh my work. gosh ken like as they pan across yes a photo of a tarantula <laughs> like just like why is you- this woman why is this woman saying, coughing and saying this in this weird voice i say i say i say sir i don't even know if his voice sounded like that anyway um ken burns if you're listening i am available <laughs> Name the time and place. Yeah, name the time and place. I will take time off work. I don't even care. Uh, Question number six. Even the long dead Lord Byron didn't manage to escape the escoriation of Twain because of, or possibly in spite of his lifestyle, what influential woman was the only legitimate child of Byron? Ada Lovelace. It is Ada Lovelace. She was the world's first computer programmer and probably the subject of one of our topics in the future because she seemed like she was a righteous badass. Yep. Um, So... Twain had this to say about Lord Byron. He was a bad man, as bad perhaps as a man with great intellect, a passionate animal nature, intense egotism and selfishness, and little or no moral principle to restrain or govern either of these. <laughs> what if he what if he was just like a meek sounding Oh man? yeah, he just had kind of a high like, voice. Well, you know. I just he had like a central New York accent, just like really nasal because he lived in Elmira for so long. <laughs> just like, hello, I'm Mark Twain. <laughs> it's me, Mark Twain. Hello. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> question number seven. Within 10 years, when was the Mona Lisa painted by Da Vinci? Fifth. Yes. Teen. Yes. 60. Ooh. 40. No, 50. No, uh, it's 1506. Okay. 1506. Okay. Um, them. It's okay. It's all right. I mean, it's it's tough. You're the art person. Well, I, I didn't know this before I did the research <laughs> on it, so don't, don't give me too much credit. Um, this is what Twain said about the Mona Lisa. All right. To me, it was merely a serene and subdued face. And there, an end. There may be more in it, but I could not find it. The complexion was bad. In fact, it was not even human. There are no people that color. <laughs> Unimpressed with Unimpressed. the Mona Lisa. I read an article this week that um, there was a conservator in Europe and they took this like painting from around the 16th century and they cleaned it. Yes. And it looked completely different yep. once they had like gotten off the all the discoloring and the varnish mm-hmm. and stuff. And people were like, why can't you do that with the Mona Lisa? Here's what the Mona Lisa would look like if she had all this varnish taken yeah. off. And obviously, like this Photoshop picture is beautiful and she's all oh, the colors are she incredible. Has English rose yeah. complexion and her eyes are brighter and the sky is better. Yeah. Um, and they talked about how all the different layers that Leonardo used uh-huh. and um that the varnish varnishes are a specific color for a specific reason and they've darkened over time and they're like yeah actually like conservators tried to do something like that in the 20th century and like really messed up the painting yeah exactly so it's um it's not as just as simple as getting out a mr clean magic eraser and taking some years of of grime off it all right sometimes it's gone for good sammy c yeah 
Needs to get over himself. Now I'm off him again. <laughs> okay. Question number eight. This popular short-lived president has his own death rock on Fordham Drive in Buffalo, New York. Name that president. All right. It's got to be William McKinley. It is. It's William McKinley. Okay. He was president for six years. I mean, like almost six years, five years. Yeah. So. I mean, you know, sure. Short-lived because he didn't live long because he was murdered. I guess that's what, that was like, that's my, where I you was were trying going. to like. Okay. Um, I, I know that was kind of weak. Anyway, <laughs> Twain wasn't uh, impressed with him as well. He didn't like McKinley. He said he was a handshaker, you know? Yeah. He was a glad hander. Yeah. Well, he said, considering the unbulky size of his mind, it is odd that he has such difficulty in making it up. And then he said, if he dies, I desire to withdraw these remarks. Well, guess what? Straight dead from the record, Roberta. Yeah, straight dead. (laughs) Okay, question number nine. Her book, Middlemarch, has been described as the greatest novel in the English language by fellow authors, but Twain was unimpressed. What was George Eliot's given name? Mary Ann Evans. Very good. Uh, She wrote Adam Bede, The Mill on the Floss, Silas Marner, and Daniel Deronda. Um, But Twain said, I can't stand George Eliot and Hawthorne and those people. I see what they are at a hundred years before they get to it and they just tie me to death. I'm getting like real Georgia now. I think I'm like, I'm like hitting my groove. (laughs) Okay. And finally, question number 10. The Niagara Falls are made up of three waterfalls, in fact. Can you name them? Horseshoe. Yes. American. Yes. Canadian. No. Uh, rainbow. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> think of think of uh, what I'm going veil. to bridal veil. veil. Bridal veil. Bridal veil. Yeah. Uh, it is the <laughs> again to recap. It's the American <laughs> Falls on the American side, bridal veil, which is the smallest of the falls, and horseshoe, which is the largest. So Bridal Veil is on the Canadian side. So you you weren't wrong in saying Canadian, but they're called Bridal Veil. And Horseshoe spans the two. Uh-huh. Um, he didn't like Niagara Falls? Oh, Unimpressed? You, oh, he, let me tell you. He said, I had to visit Niagara 15 times before I succeeded in getting my imaginary falls gauged to the actuality and could begin to sanely and wholesomely wonder at them for what they were, not what I had expected them to be. When I first approached them, it was with my face lifted toward the sky, for I thought that I was going to see an Atlantic Ocean pouring down thence over cloud-vexed Himalayan heights, a sea-green wall of water sixty miles front and six miles high. And so, when the toy reality came suddenly into view, that beruffled little wet apron hanging out to dry, the shock was too much for me, and I fell with a dull thud. <laughs> Faded because he faded it because wasn't as big as he thought it was going to be. He faded because he was so unimpressed. Can you imagine? You are so <laughs> over it that your body shuts down. That's that's how much of a curmudgeon he was. That he was his body was like we're out, and he just. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my <laughs> that was my topic and my quiz <laughs> on on the late great Mark Twain. That's great. <laughs> so now I like him. I mean, I'm still going to say nasty things oh. about him because he said nasty things about people. Yeah. So he deserves to get a little shit thrown a his little, way too. 
little poke. Yeah, he's talking about people that have been dead for like hundreds yeah. of years. Yeah, like um, find someone else to pick on, Sam. <laughs> but you know what? I get the sense because he was a funny guy. He even did stand up comedy too. Like his lectures were like stand up. He would tell stories off the going cuff down and to the like chuckle that. hut. To yeah, see Mark Twain. Yeah, he did, he did like fifteen minutes. You got <laughs> down a, to the chuckle. You hut. got a tight five. Yeah. Did great, killed, murdered him dead. It was great, but I imagine what's the deal with Niagara <laughs> Falls? You th- you get up there and you think it's gonna be huge, but it was disappointing. Oh, Niagara so disa- Falls, more like Smallagra Falls. Am I right? I fainted. It was so dumb. <laughs> I feel uh, like he would have. Like this is he- archival. <laughs> archival audio this is this is this is history we're speaking right now i feel like he would have given it like he would have taken it you know like he gave a lot of shit he would have taken it pretty good so wait okay we got a punch up okay punch me up niagara falls more like niagara fails <laughs> solid see he didn't have a team of raiders with him he, he didn't scared have them all no. away he really didn't. But yeah, I imagine if if you shot back at Mark Twain, he would have been like, all right, good one. I appreciate it. I think he would have appreciated it. So anyway, <laughs> um, I have a listener submitted trivia. Listener submitted trivia. <laughs> Mark Twain? <laughs> Mark Twain was really into uh, listener submitted uh, trivia. We could do two impressions on this podcast. <laughs> you do two impressions. Mark Twain and that one guy from Flight of the Concords. <laughs> and only two words. Just Brit. That's Eggs. <laughs> oh, also we could do Radiohead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Alex. Uh, so I have listener submitted <laughs> trivia. <laughs> We have some listener submitted trivia. Ooh, we got like a good, like I, I took the low and you took the high. Yeah. That was really good. Um, so we have um, some trivia from Alex G, longtime listener. Shout out to Alex G. Shout out to Alex G. He is also the author of the spreadsheet that contains all the things that Lauren needs to see, hear, and read. So thank you for that, Alex. Um, back in January, I don't know how I missed this without mm. telling it on the air, but he said... Uh, great trivia. Uh, Juan Pujol Garcia won awards from both sides in World War II. Huh. Does that sound awful? Do we know more about this guy? Um, he sent the Wikipedia link. Awesome. So I will retweet that great. so that people can can see that. Um, and also, we have another one from um, uh, our longtime listener, Sra Liesel as I'm calling her because she has all the, yeah, Sra. Um, you know, we had talked about Gilbert and Sullivan a couple episodes back. Yeah. Cause I, I besmeagered pirates Mm. of Penzance and she was like, I hate you until you (laughs) apologize. Something (laughs) along those lines. Um, but she also gave us this wonderful tidbit. Um, chief justice, William Rehnquist, used to quote Gilbert and Sullivan in law cases and added gold stripes to his robes because he saw a character in a Gilbert and Sullivan production in a robe with gold stripes and thought it looked cool. 
And I said, what a theater geek thing to do. That's pretty cute. That's a nice little term. It's a nice little like tribute. So. So that's our listener submitted trivia. Oh, awesome. And if you have any listener submitted trivia, so like a we thing you'd like it. to bring up at a cocktail party when there there's a lull in the conversation, yeah. uh, whenever you are on a first date and you panic and you just need to tell somebody that Montgomery Ward was what created uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, that, <laughs> you know, something like that. That's um, good. Just uh, send us a tweet or an email. You can um, tweet at us at MissInfoPod. Um, you can reach us on email at MissInfoPod at gmail.com. Um, we have a Facebook page. It's Misinformation, colon, a trivia podcast. Uh, and we have a website, www.MissInfoPod.com. Yes. yes. Not .gov yet. Not yet. But we're working on that. Yeah. Maybe in .edu. I don't know. I don't know. Ooh. We'll see. I'm not going to jinx it. Um. Yeah, definitely send us some listener submitted trivia. Uh, and uh, if you want to hear your listener submitted trivia on the air, if you just want to hear more from us, if you want to hear more of my rich and delicious Mark Twain impression, <laughs> Mr. Burns, I am available. Uh, <laughs> Julia can't. Um, we, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Um, or use our RSS feed for whatever podcast app you prefer. So, so thank you so yes. much for sticking with us, Thanks guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs> and we will probably catch you next time. We will catch you next time. Thank Goodbye. you very much. <laughs>